So here's a little quiz time for everyone. We've been studying what the last few weeks? Yeah, so anyone remember what the first one is? Don't put it up there yet. Anyone remember the first core value? You can't say it either, Caleb, nor Julia, nor Rebecca. Centered in the gospel. Yes, and you can use your notes. Thank you, Paige. And no, you didn't cheat. If you took notes, that's fair. That's all good. Okay, centered in the gospel was the first one. The big idea, if you've been studying in community group, the little study guides, the big idea for centered in the gospel is, and it's up there, God's intent for humanity is to bring him glory and enjoy him forever. Despite that intent being broken by sin, it is restored in the gospel. A number of us have been working through that book or have worked through the book, The Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler. And again, don't bring it up yet, Benjamin. The second of the, the two core values. Anyone remember? Grounded in Scripture. Very good. Grounded in Scripture. In His Word, God is revealing who He is, who we are, and how He saves His people. And then just a few weeks ago, some of you that were here might remember that we were upstairs because there was an event taking place down here. And we preached, I actually preached that Sunday, and the topic was what? Anyone? Very good. Faithful in worship. As we come together as a larger worship community, we must prepare in expectation, gather in joy, and respond in... Yeah, that's going to be a big word this morning. A couple of weeks ago, Caleb brought us the fourth core value, which was what? Anyone? Thank you. Authentic in fellowship. Amen. God has reestablished community to be the way he intended by giving us an identity that is found in Jesus. And then finally, last week, for those of you who might remember, the, the last core value was radical in mission. And simply the identity, this identity that we have in Jesus includes mission. We cannot divorce ourselves from the mission. So, a couple of weeks ago, when I mentioned to Caleb that the Lord was stirring my heart about bringing the message this morning, um, we, we, he said, well, tell me kind of what's on your mind. And I said, well, I, I, I have a sense that, that there's, a, there's a word that needs to be given on what it means to be united and how important unity is. And so, well, how does that, that fit with the core values? Talk about that. And I had some passages, and what I love about Caleb are the times that we spend together kind of doing uh, jousting back and forth a little bit with the Word, because it's important. I mean, that's what brothers do, is iron sharpens iron. And we had a chance to talk that through, and, and what I really appreciated was some of the clarity we found out was if you see those five core values, go ahead and bring all five of them up there, what we kind of discussed was that it could be that... The, the last three, faithful in worship, authentic in fellowship, and radical in mission, are, are kind of built on the first two. In other words, centered in the gospel and grounded in scripture are the foundation on which the final three are built. Together, BCC's core values fuel the fellowship in the Holy Spirit that Christ calls us to. I'm going to say that again. Together, 
the core values fuel the fellowship in the spirit that Christ calls us to. That little phrase, fellowship in the spirit, is really, really important. And I believe from 45 years, I guess, maybe give or take, of personal experience, that fellowship in the spirit is maybe one of the most misunderstood aspects of our relationship with Christ and with each other, at least in the American church. If you want to take a look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, you might recall last fall we, Caleb took us through the whole book. I'm just going to look at a couple of verses there because right there in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about this fellowship in the Spirit that Christ calls us to experience with each other in, in God's love. And so verses 1 and 2 of Philippians 2 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, there it is, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Fellowship in the Holy Spirit enables us, believers, to accomplish our mission. What's our mission? Anybody? Hmm? Make disciples who... Yeah. And that's, that's that little appendage at the end of that is really important. It's not just to make disciples, but it's to make disciples who make disciples. So I would maintain that it is fellowship in the Holy Spirit is a very, very, I would say, key ingredient. So I just want to ask you a question. When you think of church and maybe your experience with church, does that last part of that passage come to mind? Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in a one mind. In your mind, does that describe church experience that you've had? Maybe not, which that gives us, a, that right there gives us a little hint and gives us a clue that that's a place where the enemy leverages his attack on the body of Christ. On the screen you'll see 2 Corinthians 14, verses 11 through 14. Again, it's kind of the same theme. It says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, if you were in Italy, it would be very, very common to do this. There you go. So, not, not. One time's off. <laughs> there you go. But, but in, in, in North Dakota, that's something you probably aren't going to see very often. But trust me when I tell you, in other parts of the world, it's just, it's, it's, it's common. It's a common thing. It's, you know, hugs we're okay with, maybe. But, and even some people aren't really comfortable with that. And then he says, all the saints greet you, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 
be with you all. Fellowship in the Holy Spirit is far different from the normal give and take of typical human relationship because it's built on the understanding, and you heard this in one of our core values, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, what I would maintain is that if we don't understand that first, if, if we don't understand that our very reason for existence, for being or the chief end of man, as the Westminster Catechism says, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we don't, we don't get that. It's going to be really hard to move into fellowship with the Spirit. It calls for complete submission, complete submission on our part to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is a key element in the discipleship-making process. And I'm going to say that again. It's really important. We cannot expect to accomplish our mission of making disciples who make disciples if we have an unsubmissive, stubborn, hard-hearted spirit towards others and towards God. Those two don't, they don't coincide. They can't work together. So what I would like to do is offer some conditions, three, that do exist, I believe, that are likely present where believers enjoy fellowship and the Holy Spirit. Here they are. Fellowship and the Holy Spirit, go ahead and bring that next slide up. technology. Fellowship in the Holy Spirit, that was a Selah moment. Yeah. So someone needed to pause and think about what I just said. So that's alright. The Lord works those things out. Fellowship in the Holy Spirit begins with an attitude of what? Humility towards God. Fellowship in the Holy Spirit is established through obedience to God. Fellowship in the Holy Spirit matures as we are perfected in the love of God. So we're going to just unpack these a little bit through Scripture, okay? So you're going to need your Bibles for this one if you want to follow along. So we're going to talk about the first one. Fellowship in the Holy Spirit begins with an attitude of humility towards God. So I'm going to read some passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first one is Isaiah 43. If you want to take a few seconds, it should be toward the middle of your Bible for those of you that are so kind of learning where the books are. Isaiah chapter 43. I think it's important for us to look at the scripture that we read, if at all possible. And I'm not going to read all these verses. I'll tell you what I'm going to read. So I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit here because I'm looking for an intent. Isaiah, of course, is one of the major prophets. Much of his writing is geared towards Israel, but much of it is also geared prophetically toward the church, God's people in the new covenant. So Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Skip down to verse 6. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. 
everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Down to verse 19. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Turn over a couple of pages to Isaiah 45, verse 4. Isaiah 45, verse 4. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. That's an amen verse. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. I was thinking on this passage of scripture this morning. And we can put ourselves in the role of the clay that's on the wheel that the potter's forming and, and, and we can say but God, you know, I need to tell you how to do my life but I backed up to this little interesting phrase that says a pot among earthen pots and the Lord gave me a little twist of new life this morning because you see so many times when it comes to fellowship and we're not, it's not really us we're looking at how many times have you heard someone say, you know, I'm basically a good person. I, I'm okay. And we were preached that, folks, from the times we're, we're, we're children. I, I'm okay. I'm good. It's all good. But when it comes to other people, oh, yeah, he's strange. Why would he say that? Ooh, I don't like looking at her hair. Holy smoke. Where did he come up with that? This attitude, just I just don't get him. Really? Seriously? I mean, all of us face that. But see... When that attitude is shaped in our hearts, especially toward the family of God and other believers, that's what it's saying here. Does the clay, me, say to him who forms it, that, that pot doesn't have any handles. What, what, what's the deal? Why did you make Caleb like that? God, what were you thinking? And God's saying, yeah, I, I'm thinking that I'm the creator and that you're the created one. That's what I'm thinking. That's why Peter writes... In 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's quoting from Proverbs 3, 34. 
And then James writes uh, in chapter 4, verse 10. Very another very familiar verse. Does anyone know it off the top of your head? What does it say? Anyone? James 4.10. It says, submit yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. That he might exalt you. Woe to the, to the church, woe to me, to Mark Reeves, when I forget that key element of humility. Remember we read from Philippians 2. Remember what Jesus did? He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. He didn't regard equality with God something to be kind of hung on to and he let it go. And in my pride and in my self-selfishness and self-centered stinky attitude sometimes I I wonder God why did you make him like that that just doesn't jive with me at all folks will never attain the unity of the faith with that kind of attitude the Holy Spirit needs to do a cleansing work in us as we humble ourselves before the Lord secondly fellowship in the Holy Spirit is established through obedience to God if you'll turn to Romans chapter 12 this is a passage of scripture that we just seem to keep coming back to, coming back to, coming back to. It's so rich. I would encourage you this week, if you have some time, to come back to this chapter, Romans 12, and just meditate on it. Read it time and again. Allow the words to penetrate your heart and your mind. It's amazing how we'll learn all kinds, we'll memorize all kinds of things about our things about our electronic devices and all those things. But when it comes to memorizing scriptures, sometimes we just put that off somehow. Ah, well, you know, it's just not that important. It really is. So Romans 12, I'm going to start at verses 1 and read 1 through 5. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself, and ladies, that's not just for men, so you could put himself or herself more highly than he ought or she ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You might recall a couple of weeks ago as Caleb was preaching through authentic and fellowship, uh, the description is... There in Second uh, Peter, it calls us living stones. And even talked about the stones, how we're fitted and joined together. Now if you'll skip down to verse 9, we're going to kind of now, we're going to dig a little bit more here. And, and sometimes this is kind of like going to the dentist and you kind of drilling on your teeth. And sometimes it's without the anesthesia. It's kind of like, oh, well, that really kind of hurts. But it's so important to submit with the Lord speaking to us. So it says this in, in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. 
Love one another with brotherly, or I'll throw in sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. I'll just paraphrase that a little bit. When it comes to your relationship with Christ, don't be apathetic and fearful and afraid, but be fervent with zeal. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, even if they're big buttons on a shirt. <laughs> like Howard never talked about earlier. Be constant in what? Constant in what? What does constant mean? Steady. Steady. Yeah. Regularly. All the time some degree of reoccurrence. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Ouch, that's a hard one. Bless and do not curse them. Yeah, that kind of cuts against our, our, our sinful human nature. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. So this morning I was thinking, okay, here's a great picture of harmony. And we're going to take another little Selah moment here and just kind of listen to this. So catch this, okay? Catch the harmony in this. Oh, my God. 
Jesus, thank you for the truth of those words written by Martin Luther many, many decades ago. Thank you that they still ring true today. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, his truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Father, thank you that that's where you called us to exist, to be. And thank you, Father, that because of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit through your church and through this fellowship that we're talking about, Lord, we, if we choose, can taste that, Lord. And, and it's that taste, Father, that draws the lost like a moth to a lamp in the dark of night. Because there just is no substitute for it anywhere else on the planet. And you've placed it within your church. You've placed it within us. Lord Jesus, I just pray and ask that you would help all of us, this dear group of people that have linked arms here in this little hamlet of Jamestown, to live this way, oh God. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of people in this community. All of us sitting here right now could probably just name half a dozen or so off the tip of our tongues who desperately need this message of hope and truth. We thank you for it, Lord God. In Jesus' name. Finally, third point, fellowship of the Holy Spirit matures as we are perfected in the love of God. See, I appreciate uh, Sheila was uh, sharing how she was introducing me to beauty earlier. She was sharing how when she was young, uh, she received Christ because in her childhood understanding based on the message that was brought, she didn't want to go to hell. And, and so she accepted Christ so that she wouldn't go to hell. And the sad thing is, is that there are many in the church today for whom that's true. Their participation in church is little more for them than, a life, than, a, than an eternal life insurance policy. Something to kind of fall back on once we step into eternity. But folks, eternity is now. It is. It's in our hearts. So there's a maturing process that no longer should we, we should go through, but we must go through. It's, it is not an option. Our final passage of scripture is in 1 John, way toward the end of your Bible, one of the books there right before the last book of Revelation. If you want to kind of scope that out and find 1 John, and when you get there, turn to chapter 4. These are incredibly freeing words. And I'll preface while you're still looking, a couple of you looking for it, I'll preface it by saying, one of the greatest weapons in the enemy's arsenal is fear. Fear of failure. Fear of success. Fear of what people think. Fear of what people don't think. Fear of consequences. Fear that you're not going to measure up. Fear that you're going to get to the end of your life and not have a big bank account. Fear that you're not going to get to do what you really want to do. 
Fear motivates and drives us in so many subtle ways that we're not even aware of half the time. Look at what John, now John of course is, is one of the younger disciples. We, we believe he was the one that scripture says he was the one whom Jesus loved. So there obviously was a special relationship there between Jesus and John. And he writes this, chapter 4 verse 7. Beloved, talking to the church, talking to us, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Through Him. Not on our own. Through Him. And this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, propitiation for our sin. The substitute. He bore, we, we talked about that, how Christ bore the wrath of God. He was our substitute. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love is perfected in us. Verse 9, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. This is how we know. Because He's given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him. And He in God. Folks, it is the name of Jesus that is the name above every name. There is no other name that supersedes that name. People a lot of times have no problem talking about God. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, but what do you think about Jesus? Oh, well, that's a different question. Well, no, it's really not because Jesus is God. So we have come to know and believe the love of God, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Here it is now. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Let's unpack that for just a minute. So here's my question. Someone please answer this. How is Jesus in the world today? In other words, what, what, what position, what is his status in the world today? <clears throat> the world despises him. But I'm talking about his real status. I'm not talking about what people think about him. Thank you, that's a good answer. And I, maybe I didn't frame the question carefully. But in truth, if we were to see with unveiled eyes, if everyone on the whole planet would see him as he is, as we all will at some point in history to come, what is his status? He is the Lord of Lords. All authority has been given to him. That's what he said to his disciples right before him. All authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. This just says, because as he is, so are we, as his emissaries, as his church, as his body, 
we are the ones through which his authority flow conditionally, conditionally on us abiding in him, abiding in his love, and living lives under submission to the Holy Spirit. Remember these three points, humility, obedience, and finally maturity. Then I love this next line. I have it bold-faced in my notes. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So some notes here in conclusion. We're redeemed for God's glory in order to be drawn into fellowship with the Father and with one another. The greatest commandment, Hebrews know it as the Shema, commands relationship with God and with each other. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. When Jesus was quizzed about this, he said, yeah, that's it. And then the second one's just like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting from Leviticus 19. In John 17, Jesus wraps up what's known as a high priestly prayer. It's right before they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's taken uh, by the priest's guards and to be beaten in that mockery of a trial. And he prays this prayer over his disciples right before that time comes. And he says, I do not ask for these only as he's wrapping his prayer up, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you've sent me. And these are the words of Jesus, folks. Our fellowship and how we relate and act towards one another, that's what draws the world. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Caleb preached about this a few months ago as we were going through, through Philippians. So then I, I think I gave you a slide for this last one. In order to carry out our mission, Christ's commission, we must learn through our love for God and one another to be united in spirit. The lost are drawn to the Father, not through religion, but through a love relationship. This is and will always be the greatest challenge that lies before the church. I've been in the church a long time. I've witnessed and been party to, frankly, I'm ashamed to say, ungodly behavior. Where there's been unforgiveness, wrongdoing, disobedience, rebellion. It, it exists. And I kind of had this kind of thought in the back of my mind where, you know, because there are brothers and sisters in Christ who they just don't forgive. 
I'm not going to forgive that person for what they did to me. And, and forgiveness is hard sometimes because it's not just a matter of saying, oh, I forgive them. And you may really mean it, but then the next day it all comes back again. And you got to forgive them again. I forgive you. I forgive. That's why I think Peter said to Jesus, how many times do I have to keep doing this? 70 times 7? And Jesus said, no. It just Seven times? And Jesus said, no. Seven times 70. In other words, it, it doesn't end. Whenever you wrestle with unforgiveness, you forgive. And you just give it up and you forgive. So I had this kind of vision that, okay, we all get to heaven. Everyone who are believers, there's going to be like this, like this big, huge lobby. And we all get there. If there's any unforgiveness that we have towards anyone or towards us, you know, that Jesus goes, oh, I'm so glad you're here. He's going to hug us. And, you know, there's so-and-so over here. You need to go make it right with them, and then you can come in. You know, so it's like, when we get there, we're going to have to do it anyway. Now, that, guys, I'm not, I'm not espousing some kind of heaven theology. That was just came from Mark, okay? So I'm not, there's, that's nowhere in Scripture. In fact, here's what I wrote. Truth is, when we are, and this is more along the lines of C.S. Lewis and kind of some of the things he wrote, when we are confronted with God's glory. All that is not pure and holy will fall away. And will fall into the arms of that person or persons who the evil one has tried to portray as an enemy. And will glorify the Father together. Because it just won't matter when we're in His presence. So as worship team comes to wrap this up, I just want to really encourage you folks this week, maybe in the community group, to really do some, some digging and discern what is your understanding of being united in spirit? What is your understanding of the fellowship in spirit? To what degree are we experiencing that and how far do we have to go? Because I'm convinced that no program, no music, no worship team, no great messages, nothing. I mean, God can use those things, but what's going to win the loss is the authenticity of the relationship that we have with Jesus and we have with each other. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you again. Lord, we recognize it is true. And Lord, thank you for bringing it home. Father, my prayer is as is is we as we contemplate and meditate on this, Lord Jesus, my desire, one of the very reasons I'm here, you know, is that we might experience this in a new way, in a fresh way. Lord God, I believe with all my heart, this is the future for the church in America. It's not going to be big buildings. It's not big programming. It's not great material wealth. It's, it's none of that, Lord. It's the authenticity of relationship. Because that's what's most broken in our country right now. Families are broken. Children are broken. Husbands and wives are broken. To the degree to where in many cases, then people don't even get married anymore because it's just going to convince you it's just not going to work. It's broken. But Lord Jesus Christ, you, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are the answer. Obedience and submission to your word always triumphs. And so, Father, speak to our hearts this week, I pray, as we think about this. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.